My name is Ron Holt, and I'm the pastor here, and we are delighted that you've chosen to visit with us. For this to be this year, I think it's imperative that we understand the title and the sermon today, which is God's Vision, A Growing Faith. What are the essentials of a growing faith? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. The book of 2 Timothy, this is back toward the latter parts of your Bible, um, chapter 1. Essentials of a growing faith. We will see that there are spiritual practices that Paul lists here as he writes to his uh, disciple Timothy. As Timothy, one he is commissioning, one who he has trained and mentored in the faith. He also talks about the importance of correct spiritual beliefs and spiritual community. So essentials for a growing faith include spiritual practices, correct spiritual beliefs, and spiritual community. Let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with the third verse. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, as I constantly remember you in my prayers. We see right there, as Paul uh, gives thanks to God, a form of praise, a form of worship, and as he remembers and as he practices the spiritual practice of prayer. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As he's speaking to Timothy, writing him this letter toward the end of his life. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which you first lived, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, as I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame that God has given you, or to fan into the flame the gift of God, to serve mightily and boldly with what God has given you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give you or give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And then he encourages him to share of the good news. Do not, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as a prisoner, but join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul is under the persecution of the reign of Nero at this time and is in prison. It probably has changed on from what we see in this, later on in, in this book. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. He is speaking a word to him. He said, but join me in the suffering of the gospel and the power of God. In verse 9, who has saved us and called us into a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And of the gospel, I was appointed as a herald, apostle, a teacher, that is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have been entrusted to him for that day. And what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a, when I was a boy, I used to play baseball. I, I loved baseball. It was the first sport that I ever really, really loved. 
And I remember when I was six years old, my mom came and said, would you like to sign up for the little local baseball team that was there in our little rural community? And I was so excited because I had tried to play baseball before, but I didn't really know any of the rules. You know, we'd done the playground, we'd get a stick or something, hit a ball and run. And, you know, that was about the end of it because uh, I didn't really understand all the rules of the game. But I was so excited. And so I'll never forget um, my parents taking me to the baseball field for the first time and getting out. They bought me this little $5 glove that barely covered my hand, you know. And I'm out there, and I'm so excited to play. Uh, but it was interesting. I really didn't understand the rules or the premise of the game up at that point. My dad really wasn't a uh, he wasn't sports in that nature because he was kind of a farmer slash cowboy. And, uh, he did have me riding a sheep and then a goat and then a Shetland pony, uh, trying to make a rodeo star out of me. Uh, but I got thrown off enough that I thought that was masochism. I didn't really see the, the sport of that. I wasn't enjoying that at the point, especially after I'd had a hernia at the age of five. And uh, that whole other story. But nevertheless, baseball sounded a lot more appealing at that point. And so I was so excited. So when I got there, they began to really teach me the rules of game and the premise of the game. And then we began to practice because I really wasn't any good. The real truth of it was I, uh, I remember telling the kids when I got up there I was going to hit the ball over the fence, and I didn't even hit the ball. So I, I had to practice, and then I had to play with a team. You know, that, that was kind of the, just the essentials of playing baseball. You, under, you have to understand how the game's played and what the rules are. You have to understand, number two, uh, for people like me, before you can play, you have to practice and learn some of the skill set. And then number three, you have to play with a team. I remember sometimes my dad, I would say, Dad, why don't you come play ball with me? And I'm not trying to make him sound bad. He was actually a pretty good dad. Uh, but he'd say, just go out there and play yourself. you know. And I'd throw the ball up about ten times. I was going, this is no fun. Or I'd try to hit it. And I wasn't even coordinated at that point to really hit the ball when I'd throw it up myself. And that, that just wasn't any fun. Baseball, it was essential and it was imperative that you play with a team for you to really even play baseball. So I had to have correct, uh, a correct understanding of the game. I had to practice, and then I had to play with a team. Well, much is true for us. The same is true for us as we look at what are the essentials of growing in our faith. Well, it requires correct spiritual beliefs, spiritual practices or disciplines, and spiritual community. So let's look at those. What does it mean? Paul says right here, as we concluded, he said in verse 13, What you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and with love in Christ Jesus. What, what had Paul taught? What is it specifically that Paul had taught? If I had to boil down the most basic essentials that are required and, in my opinion, are mandatory for the faith, then I would turn to this passage and Paul specifically gives some of these essentials right here, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to turn there with me, you can turn there and mark this with your big pencil, because this is the oldest creed that we have of the New Testament. This was started somewhere between 35 and 37. We have some historical references where they would begin to quote this. And often they would do this right before baptism. So this is the oldest creed we have in the New Testament. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with the third verse. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. And if not, there's one underneath your seat that you can look on or you can simply look at the screen. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with the third verse. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance. And here's the creed. That Christ died. First tenet 
or essential that defines us as Christian is believing and recognizing from, for Christianity is that Christ died for our sins. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Christ died for our sin because God cannot look upon sin. We must be forgiven of our sin. That is even stated in the oldest creed that we have in the New Testament here. So we see right here that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, the authority of Scripture. How do we know what God's Word is for us today? How do we know what those rules or the basic premise of Christianity is? By the authority of Scripture. And Paul clearly indicates that here. Move on. What does he say? He says that he was buried, Christ was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So we know that he died, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. Essentials of the faith. What does he say after that? He says, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, that he rose again. Essentials of our faith. Now, as we look at Christianity as a whole, we often quote another creed that actually came about 100 to 150 years later. They began as churches to quote this creed. And matter of fact, we do, uh, when we share other than a couple of words, this is probably the, the oldest creed, and uh, we'll use it as our confession. And many churches use a form of this as well. Sometimes it's referred to as the Apostles' Creed. Let's just kind of walk real briefly through this. We stood and st stated it earlier today, but I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father. I believe that He is the Almighty, that He is the one and only and true God, and that He is the Creator of all heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Jesus the Christ, that is a title, the Anointed One, the one that was foretold in the Scriptures in the Old Testament of the Messiah who would come, the Son of the living God, our Lord, Kyrios, the Lord of our lives. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He came here upon this earth and dwells man, but he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And then we see a historical statement. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. We can go back and historically see that. It gives us a time frame when this occurred. And was crucified and died and was buried. Going back to our central doctrine that Paul listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. When we say God, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Father. And right now, Jesus is in his... Uh, he is right there at the right hand of God. He is in the presence of God. He is God. He will come again to judge the living and, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church, Christ, the bride of Christ, that He called us to come together as a group of believers, as the church, the communion of believers, the forgiveness of sins, as we stated in the earlier creed, the resurrection of the body and of life everlasting. That is a tenet of the statement of faith that most of Christendom would agree with, both Catholic 
and Protestant. Now, what is it that defines Protestants from Catholicism? Well, there's five solas that in the Protestant Reformation came about. The first one is sola scriptura, okay? And it means by Scripture alone. In other words, we believe that the truth of God is given to us by Scripture alone. It's not through tradition or the magistrate, but it is given by Scripture. Number two, sola fide, that our faith alone, through grace alone, uh, is the way that we experience Christ. So Christ comes to us, offering us a spirit of grace in which we receive by faith. Sola Christos. And then finally, sola Deo Gloria, which is glory to be to God alone. All things are for God's glory. So we see uh, the essentials of the faith. We see the tenets of the Christendom. We see as evangelicals what define us. Then let's look at what defines us as church. You know, there are all kinds of churches and denominations. Uh, we're all familiar with that. Most of you have come from uh, different backgrounds, or many of you have come from different backgrounds. Every time we do dinner with a pastor, which we'll do tonight, we'll go around the table and tell me how you are raised. And almost everybody, maybe there'll be two or three that were from the same background. But what defines us, we talked about as Christians, but what defines us as a church? Well, then that step would be the teachings. Now, these are not imperatives. In other words, if you don't see them in exactly like I do, that you're just wrong and you're out. Okay? To the best of our understanding, this is our interpretation of Scripture. What's an example of that? Well, one would be communion. We talked about that. Communion would be one, and we talked about how often we do it, how we receive it, those kind of things. Another one would be church government. We said earlier that we are an elder-led church. Why? Because it's found 51 times in the New Testament. Now, is it ever again specifically prescribed that you have to do it this way? No, but we see a description, so that's the way that we've chosen to go. Mode of baptism, we talked about that earlier. Uh, it, it appears to us that Jesus was immersed, and so we practice uh, immersion. So and the word baptizio means to immerse. So that's our interpretation and our understanding. So that's how we practice it. Again, some churches will pour. Some churches will sprinkle. Uh, we are not saying that they are wrong and we are absolutely right. We're saying this is our understanding and interpretation of Scripture. And from what we can gather, uh, we believe this to be what God would have us to do. Taste. Excuse me, there are many other things. We could go into eschatology. When do you believe Christ will come? Will it be before the millennial reign, during the millennial reign, after the millennial reign? Uh, spiritual gifts, how are those worked out in practice? Those are all different teachings, uh, but they are not imperatives that we all understand them exactly in the same manner. Some may be practiced differently, but as a church, you have to have a position. This is how we generally practice. It doesn't mean that you're excluded or that you can't be a part, but we just want you to know how we're going to participate. Number, or the next one would be taste. Taste, of course, is what music style do you do? Use a hymn book. What translation of the Bible do you use? Um, do you do Sunday school or small groups? What kind of clothes do you wear? Those kind of things, the style of your worship, those are all taste issues. And let me remind you that it's always imperative that we start at the top. What are the essentials of the belief system of Christianity? What are the essentials Paul defined? What are the essentials of the faith? What are the tenets of the faith? Then what are our teachings? Then we get to taste. 
Uh, taste is the last piece of it. So many times people want to start with taste. I'm just looking for something that feels good. Hey, a lot of things can feel good, but sometimes they're called cults, okay? So it's not just about what you feel. That's why it's important that we have correct spiritual beliefs, okay? And uh, so, and, and you wonder, you know, I used to see all these shows on how do kids get wrapped up in that. Almost never do they have correct spiritual beliefs. Not all, Almost never are they correctly grounded in Scripture, but they find something that makes them feel good and sounds good and sounds close to what they heard. And there's a big difference, as you obviously know. So, uh, as Christians, as followers of Christ, it's important that we understand those. And Paul talked about the vital importance of understanding. Well, let's move on. Uh, we've talked about correct spiritual beliefs. What about spiritual practices? He listed there in Second Timothy verse uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, as we went over earlier, some spiritual practices. The spiritual practice of praise, which the primary uh, aspect of worship is praise, bringing praise to God, as we see uh, Paul talking about here in verse 3. Uh, it's imperative that if we are going to grow in our faith that we learn to worship and that we participate actually actively in worship. We pursue worship. That's what the vision of worship is, is to pursue. Number two, prayer. Paul speaks about his prayers and how he prays. For us to grow spiritually, it is essential that we learn to pray and that we practice the discipline of prayer. Of service, as he talks about fanning the flame, of serving, of using the gifts that God has given you, using the ability, use the experience that you've had. The importance and the vision of outreach. Paul speaks in verse 8, Do not be ashamed to testify of our Lord. When we start to talk about Him and share of the goodness and to share of the good news, that is something that ignites our spiritual faith. The vision of truth, as we just talked about in verse 9 through 13, as Paul talked about, as you have seen in me, the importance. If we don't have start correctly in what we understand and what we believe, it will have a domino effect into how we live. And then the vision of community. Let's look at that right there in verse 15. Paul uh, really reaches out and indicates the importance of spiritual community. He says, you know, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phlegis and, and Hermogenes. And he says, also, uh, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Because he has refreshed me and was not ashamed in my chains. He's reaching out to Timothy. And he is also talking about how Onesiphorus, literally his household reached out and gave him spiritual community. Ministered to him. We believe it's important that you have spiritual community. And that's one of the reasons we encourage you to be a part of a small group. Or to be a part of a Bible study where you can connect with people. Uh, you know, there's always going to come that time in our lives where we need a 2 a.m. friend. Whether your husband's out of town and the pipes burst or you lose someone close to you, whatever it is. And so many times people will come running and looking for community at that time and it's difficult. But when somebody knows you and we grow in faith together, then we can share those aspects of life. And there's not many things short of really, really studying Scripture and prayer that can help us to grow more than doing community together in the spiritual sense. And so we want to encourage you again to take advantage of that opportunity. And as soon as this service is over in that connection room, you're welcome to go over there. And uh, we would love to connect you up into a small group uh, so that you can build spiritual community as well. Well, as we have looked at these things, 
I think it's important for us to realize that if we have accepted Christ, the next step is to investigate and learn about our faith. Number two, the next thing that's important for us is to begin to practice the disciplines of the Spirit. And number three, to build community. You know, I saw a uh, matter, matter of fact, many of you probably read in the New York Times this week, uh, there's an ad that's going on in Great Britain right now that uh, Dawkins and a few others have taken out. And they're doing this program and they're doing this advertisement. It says, don't worry, God probably doesn't exist. Like somehow that's supposed to bring me a lot of comfort uh, that God doesn't exist. So I don't really have to worry about anything. You know, I, you know, I, I did a little research and I was uh, reading about Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud. Most of us are familiar with Sigmund Freud, kind of the father of psychology. He was a brilliant man. It's interesting. He uh, shares that uh, when he was 64, he, he lost his daughter. And he said, uh, I, I don't know what to do or to say. It's such a paralyzing thought and event that no, no motion can describe it. And there's no afterthoughts because... I'm not a believer, and I don't believe there's a God. So there's no hope that I will ever see her again. Later on, his three-year-old grandson died, and he said this. He said, I find it hard to bear. I don't know that I've ever experienced so much grief. Perhaps my sickness contributes to the shock. I just work out of necessity. Fundamentally, everything has lost its meaning to me. He said, this child that was taken from me, uh, has left me not caring about anything in life. I don't even care for my other grandchildren, and I can find no joy in life. He also went on to say, as an unbeliever, it would be hypocritical for me to reach out or to consider God now. It would be the height of hypocrisy, but it leaves me no place to lay a claim or a complaint. I have nowhere to go with my pain. And I know that this is the end, and I have no joy in life. Don't worry, God probably doesn't exist. I bet you if you ask Freud today, did that bring you a lot of comfort? Did that bring you hope? No. You've seen the old bumper sticker. No N-O Jesus, no peace. K-N-O Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. Let me tell you this. The peace that Christ gives, he says, not as the world gives you. It's not about just feeling a certain way, but it's about a hope. It's about a future. It's about being in a right relationship with God Almighty. And it's about knowing this. It's about knowing that there is a hope and that there is a future. And though we lose loved ones and it is just as painful if we're a believer or an unbeliever, we have the hope and the promise that one day we will be reunited. We have the hope and the understanding that God will walk through us through the valleys of the shadow of death. But when there is no God, and when we believe there is no God that can know us, then what hope is there? What about you this morning? I challenge you to do as Paul challenged Timothy. To inspect, first of all, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted Him? Have you looked at your beliefs and do you understand your faith? Do you believe correctly? Do you participate in the spiritual practices that Scripture has given us? And are you in spiritual community? There's a verse that I learned when I went through a thing called EE, 
uh, an evangelism training uh, tool that I learned. It was called actually Revelations 3.20. And this was actually a verse, though, to believers. And it goes like this. It's, uh, behold, Jesus is speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is crying out, or Jesus is knocking at the door today saying, come in. I want you to practice with spirit, those spiritual disciplines with me. I want you to know me, and I want you to have spiritual community with me. And I invite you to start today. What about you? Will you begin today? Maybe you've never crested Christ. I want to invite you to come and to meet Him. If you'd like to talk with someone, as soon as you walk out that door and that connection room, that glass room, someone would love to sit out, sit down and pray with you, explain anything that you, any questions that you might have. Or maybe uh, you're here today and you're a believer, but you found yourself just flat, and you need to begin to pursue the vision of a growing faith. We want to work with you on that too. We want to help you. We want you to get involved in spiritual community. We want to train you and equip you. But you have to make that first step. Would you respond as God leads? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the tremendous grace and mercy that you have poured out on us. God, I pray for those who don't know you today that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, for those who know you and have just become flat, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen their resolve and that they would begin to pursue you as they begin to study your word and to study your truth, as they begin to practice prayer and worship and praise and service. And Lord, as they come into community with you and with the believers of Christ, Lord, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And we invite you this morning, Lord, to work in our hearts. Lord, if there's one here who needs to know you, I pray that you would draw them before this day is over. In your name I pray, amen.